0: Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. This episode is the first of a two-part series focused on organizational engagement. With me today is Dr. Jim Bone, author of If Your Water Coolers Could Talk, Organizational Engagement, The Step Beyond Employee Engagement. In addition to being an accomplished author and speaker, Jim has served a variety of roles in the corporate world over the past 40 years. He has led large-scale technology implementations for multinational organizations, as well as the transformation of multiple underperforming teams. Achieve award-winning levels of success. After leaving corporate America, Jim's launched his own consulting practice and worked with major hospital networks, manufacturing organizations, global legal teams, finance groups, and nonprofit organizations. Jim has a PhD from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. is an expert on change management theory and practice, leadership, and of course, organizational engagement. Jim, it's great to be talking with you today. Welcome.
1: Mike, it's always good to talk with you. Thanks for the opportunity to do this.
0: I really do appreciate it. You are welcome. So to start us off, can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to pursue research in the domain of organizational engagement? Well, I
1: have to go back a little bit farther before I get to the organizational engagement piece. When I was working on my PhD, one of my committee members, Dr. John Marshall Reeve, and I spent time talking about self-efficacy. And then we talked about team efficacy. And he said, you know, no one in the world has ever developed anything on organizational efficacy. And there were people like Bandura, of course, who, you know, he's the, the, the archbishop of this concept. And Marilyn Gist and some really brilliant scholars who said somebody should do this. And so, you know, lo and behold, that's what I decided to do was to build a scale for organizational efficacy. I had no idea how much work it would be. But uh, built it, got it peer reviewed in HRDJ and then started to think I can build off of this into the concept of organizational level engagement, which I believe is the next step beyond employee engagement. So that's how I got to where I am at. Yeah, how
0: long have you been doing this?
1: Organizational engagement piece probably started about five, six years ago. I started thinking about it real hard. And then in two thousand. In 2018, uh, I worked with a partner to do some research with a multinational organization and we used the organizational engagement scale across, uh, three continents, uh, eight different countries and found some very interesting findings. And so from that point, I finished a book by the way, which you reviewed and gave me some insights early in the game. Thank you. Uh, and then, so I wrote the book in 2018, uh, and published it in 2019, and it's uh, had good reception. So I've continued to work on it since then. And recently, in 2020, I was able to do a longitudinal research study at the same company to see whether their organizational engagement had changed. And indeed, it has, which was also fun to see. So large uh, populations, large samples. The first one was well over 645 people. Second one was over 300 And so I I continue to work on it. I'm working on a workbook right now, a training workbook
0: for it. So it's a real passion of mine. You're welcome for a review of the book. I enjoyed it a lot and got a lot out of it. What makes organizational engagement different from employee engagement? Again, I have to step back a little bit before I answer the question.
1: As you mentioned in my introduction, I've worked with corporations for 40 years. Lots of different corporations, lots of different kinds of corporations. I mean, ranging from hospitals to manufacturing, that's a really broad swath, a very wide range. But the human behavior within those organizations is essentially the same. The same problems come up again and again and again. And so I thought employee engagement is not really touching on these big things. And so between my research and just these observations and working with a lot of leaders, it's like, I want to look at something that's essentially bigger than employee engagement, and that's how I got into it.
0: You had referred to a little earlier in our conversation of the six elements of organizational engagement. Can you talk a little bit about what each of those are and how you arrived at them? Sure. Before I get there, I just need to answer one other
1: question you asked me, which was the difference between employee engagement and organizational engagement? Real simple, employee engagement looks inward. Organizational engagement looks outward. Employee engagement looks at what the company's doing for me. Organizational engagement is an assessment of what the company's doing. So there's a dramatic difference. And when you think about it, the the six factors in that flow very, very logically. The first thing is do we know where we're going? Do we have a clear mission? Now, you've read probably scores of books on the subject of mission uh, and that whole notion of do we know where we're going? But that is a key element in organizational engagement because. If people know where they're going, they, they don't spend time wasting it on other projects and other things that are just extraneous to getting strategic things done. Uh, Robert Sternberg wrote something a long time ago, and he wrote the idea that if you have something to focus on, it starts to exclude other possibilities, so your brain is actually focusing on it. And so within the context of mission, it's like, do we know where we're going? The second thing is, if we know where we're going, that's great, but can we work together and this is a big challenge within an organization. We talk a lot about teamwork. We talk about whether people are, you know, recruited to work together and so forth. But that's a big question. And so if people are looking outbound in the uh, organizational engagement questions, so they're saying, do we have the right people? Can we work together to get things done? Uh, do we have uh, innovation that works together? Those kinds of things, real simple questions based around, can we work together? Then the third thing becomes, can we stay the course during times of trouble? Now, this is the whole resilience piece that's very, very popular right now. I think it's been very popular even in HBR for the last uh, 10 years. But the idea, do we know where we're going? Can we work together? And can we stay the course? Now, those three things rolled out of my research 20 years ago perfectly. Bandura's theory rolled out perfectly in my research, and that was with almost a 1,000 people. So those are real hardballs. So then we go on to the next three, which is first one is, Do we know what's happening around here, which is communication? Now, lots of organizations talk about it. But as you know, this is one of those things Mark Twain used to say, a classic is something everyone wants to have read, but no one wants to read. And I believe the same thing to be true about communication. We talk about it a lot, but I don't think organizations are very good at it. And I think we're getting even more confused with with the multiple options that people have. The fifth one is leadership commitment are our leaders committed to getting things done and I have questions within the organizational scale about do our leaders have a credible track record? Do they show signs of progress? Are they committed to the goals they set? I've demonstrated some statistical reliability with that and organizational purpose, some really neat things. And then the final thing is something nobody wants to hear about but so important in organization, which is organizational accountability. Do we hold people accountable for good work? And if they are held accountable, if they do really good work, are they rewarded? And also, do we remove literally bad actors or people that are not effective in their roles or retrain them? So it's it's those six elements that I saw in organizations again and again and again, and just codified it into something I think is pretty straightforward. If organizations work on any one of those, they can improve their overall performance. I've now proven within my last study that overall organizational engagement will go up uh, with uh, profitability, I have an actual uh, statistic on that. So it, it
0: works. To pull out one of the most prevalent topics these days is the COVID-19 situation. Your third item was, can we stay the course in difficult times? Can you talk a little more in depth about that and what organizations can do to achieve that?
1: Well, it's really interesting. Thanks for asking the question. that I actually conducted my research during the height of covid So to see that this organization felt it was strong, felt it could persist, felt that it would even grow, uh, was a real testament to their leadership. And so the the key thing overall in the terms of resilience is this, people need to know that their leadership is confident in where they're going. There can be no doubt about it. It can't be leaders turning to people and saying, well, We're not going to make our numbers this quarter or whatever. Their leaders need to continually tell them, these are the things we're doing. This is what's happening. And by the way, if they give some testimonials of, and we launched a new product, and by the way, and we have a new uh, service program that's been launched, or we hired some more people, evidences that the organization is surviving and thriving is the kind of things that will increase resilience. And there's also one other thing. Bandura talks a lot about past performance being critical to self efficacy. That same thing is true in organizational engagement. If you can look back in times and say, well, you know, in 2008, we had this terrible crash, and yet somehow we pulled through it, reminding people of those things, those past performances, we've made it through it, we'll make it through this again, along with some leader focus and testimonials of things to working, that can help with resilience.
0: Another area that I wanted to Touch on here is you talked about organizations being accountable and actually being able to reward people for doing the right thing and maybe removing people who are not doing the right thing. What advice can you give to leaders and organizations to get better at this?
1: Well, I'll answer the second question first. I'll just give a story. When I was a supervisor, I was given an employee who had had 18 months of very, very bad performance. And I remember saying to my, my first boss, my first supervisory role, I'm going to rehabilitate so-and-so, and and he's going to be a great employee. And he said to me, no, he won't. You're going to fire him. And I was like, no, no, I can't do that. I'm just, you know, I was very scared. But I went and did it anyway. What I think organizations need to see is that there's two ways to look at it. People either can't do it because they're not trained or they don't know what to do. And I give people a lot of room there. That's organizations need to train people. If you've trained people and they still don't want to walk with you on the road It's time to remove them. And the value of that is people within your organization are waiting for bad actors to be removed because they affect so many other people. And the research shows that your credibility as a leader will go up. Also, their attention span goes way up when they see that somebody's been removed. The other side of the issue of accountability when it comes to reward it doesn't have to be a lot. I'm, I'm always concerned, especially in, in uh, Wisconsin, because we're so cautious about this. We have this very old European ethic that just says, boy, if we, if we just pay people, that's enough. And I've even been in workshops where I've had people tell me I don't need to reward them with anything else. I give them money. It's like, well, that's fine. But if you have really good performing people, 50 bucks worth of pizza or a, a handshake that's sincere or a team meeting together goes a long, long way. And I still think as much as we talk about recognition, that's still something we need to work on very hard. So getting rid of the people that are not functional, I think is important. We don't want to do it, but that's a piece of accountability. But the other side of it is, if you have people that are performing well, you got to reward them uh, and and do that so that it's public,
0: so that people know that if they strive for something, there will be a reward. Yeah, I think your points there are spot on. Everybody in the organization looks at what leaders do and they also look at what leaders don't do. Yes, uh, And that is something to keep in mind yes. uh, as you are making decisions and, and leading. Uh, I, I, have a, I, have
1: a, I have a belief in there, just a, parenthetically, that we all have what's called an invisible cloak of credibility. And the more as leaders we take on the hard things and keep cleaning things up and making more progress, that cloak of credibility becomes very, very powerful. The less we do of that, to your point, the cloak of credibility becomes very thin. And although people may give us lip service and, and nod their heads, heads up and down, if they see that we're not addressing hard issues, our credibility goes without. That's a big, big deal in companies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Credibility is, is everything. And I usually teach people that your employees will look at you know the body of your work as a leader. Uh, they might not understand maybe certain you know individual decisions, but- Keep in mind, it does take a little bit of time to maybe manage somebody out of the organization or to help somebody find a better fit. Uh, yes. So the employees have to have that trust that you're doing things behind the scenes since nobody wants to be publicly criticized or dressed down that way. So uh, hopefully they have the trust that you're doing the right thing and, and you are taking some action, even though people might, might not be able to see it until final move is made. Yeah. And you and I both
1: agree, Mike, that termination is clearly a last resort. That's not what we yes. want to do. I mean, I, I never took took uh, pleasure in doing that. But at the same time, it was like some places I just had to get rid of people because they were doing no good and the team was going down fast and they were kind of waiting. Well, what are you going to do here, Jim? And it's like, well, now is the time either to be courageous and do this properly or just continue to kick this can down the road. And I just never felt that that was the right thing to do.
0: And yeah, terminating employees, never an easy thing to do and never something that should be taken lightly. For a while, I, I worked for a leader who talked about loving people on their last day as much as you did on the first day. So the uh, separation needs to happen. How do you help people leave with a good taste in their mouth and try to chalk it up as a learning experience? And hopefully people are moving on to something better. Mm-hmm. Jim, another question I have is on your fourth element here of, do we know what's happening around here? Can you expand and elaborate on that a little bit for me?
1: Yeah, that, thanks for asking. That, that uh, particular question revealed a whole bunch of stuff in this last study I did that leaders who were very effective in their communication had high correlations with things like organizational purpose. And the one that was most profound to me is leaders who know where they're going or or providing clarity in where they're going also demonstrated a 0.7 correlation with we can collaborate to get things done. In other words, if people know what the leaders are thinking and it's clear, that again, coalesces a team to be able to get things done. So I think sometimes leaders have this foolish idea that they've communicated because they've walked past someone in the hall. And I've, I've told you this story where a guy walked past me in the hall, gave me five seconds and told me to get something done for a big client the next day. And I was almost paralyzed. I think sometimes leaders have this mis- mistaken idea that they have to spend hours with people and candidly, I think a five to 10 minute conversation with clarity provides people just enough to keep moving forward, especially when you've got intelligent people, but answering their questions, making sure you give them eye contact, making sure you give them instructions that are valuable and setting expectations. All that is so important, but because we're moving so fast, I think we tend to forget that and think, well, people will just figure this out and we don't. And so then somebody goes in without clear expectations, does something that looks wrong and they're embarrassed, their manager's angry when really a 10 minute conversation could have assuaged that. So get off the email and and talk to people as much possible face-to-face. That's my contention.
0: I concur. Management by walking around is something I practice and preach as well and getting out to see people. And even in this COVID environment, do a Zoom call or something like that, or some sort of virtual call. uh, So you can at least see some of the body language and uh, it doesn't have to take long to your point. A few minutes here, provided you're genuine and clear, is really going to help and maybe even put in a few checkpoints in along the way just to make sure that you are aligned and that your message was clear. Yep. Well, Jim, that rounds out my questions for part one of our conversation about organizational engagement. Thank you for your time. I look forward to continuing our discussion in part two, where we'll cover how your research is being used around the world. I'd also like to take a moment and thank our listeners. Good luck on your leadership journey, and please check back for part two and other future episodes.